0: I will read this scripture from Luke once again. And for so many of us, it is a familiar text. Then Jesus told his disciples, then Jesus told a parable for those who were confident in their own righteousness and who looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I have. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. But beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. The word of God. Let us pray. O gracious and all wise God, holy God, we give you thanks for this day. We thank you, O God, that so many of us woke up this morning, by the power of your spirit. It was not the alarm clock, oh God, it was not the children, it was not anything, but your power, oh God, that woke us up. Lord God, you not only woke us up, but you have clothed us in our right mind, and you have given us a measure of strength to either come to this Bethel place, or, oh God, to watch online, but you have moved us to open our hearts to hear a word. So, Holy God, we ask that you send the preacher. We ask that your spirit come and you help me to preach and your people to hear. And then, Holy God, you help us to go out and and live the word so that we not just be hearers but doers. So that your name might be praised, your son glorified, and your kingdom advanced on this earth. And this we pray in the sweet name of your son, our Savior. And his name is marvelous to our ears. And his name is Jesus. In his name we pray and have our being. Amen. Amen. As a thought for this day, I offer this is a real mess. This is a real mess. As I said earlier, we are starting a new sermon series and an additional Bible study for the season of Lent which is based on the book by United Methodist pastor from the Virginia Conference, um, Reverend Tom Berlin. And the title of the book is Restored, Finding Redemption in Our Mess. And again, if you drive up and down John B. White, you will see it out there on the, from the street on the banner. And we, all, and we use this phrase all the time, don't we? So-and-so is what? A hot mess, amen? It has its roots in that phrase, literally, a hot mess, if you've ever been at a mess hall. And we can face facts, can't we? Our world, our country, our lives, and even our spiritual lives can be really messy. We can be messy. I know that we don't want to admit it, and we even try to keep up appearances, but I believe that not so deep down, we know that we are and can be a mess. And yes, some of us are a hot mess. Our messiness goes beyond how we keep our desks, that junk drawer in your kitchen or in your house somewhere that you keep trying to clean up, but it stays kind of messy. It extends beyond our homes, our cars, and and even our garages that we can no longer park the car in. But it extends to our relationships, our finances, our thinking, our behaving, deep inside our souls and our spirits. If we tell the truth, we can be a mess. Now, to the outside world, many of us look as if we have it all together together. Our heads are combed, we have jobs, we're well-educated, we can balance work and family life, we participate in sororities and fraternities and other social and civic organizations, we dress nice and speak well, but in reality, we can be a mess. When I was um, in college, an undergraduate, my roommate was Arnitha, and it's a hard name to forget, but I don't remember her last name, but Arnie and I had a great time. I mean, it was so fun, pillow fights. I mean, all the things you think might happen in college, right? And our next door neighbor was Peaches, and she's still Peaches, from Sumter, South Carolina. And we would have so much fun, the three of us, but Peaches had a roommate. And she was in the ROTC, and if you saw her out on campus, everything was put together. Those shoes were shiny. I mean, the, the gig line, you know, see, I know that, right? Uh, the gig line, everything was just until you went into the room. You would open the door, and you would see Peaches' side of the room, the bed made, the books. She was a criminal justice major. Everything all lined up. And then when you opened the door a little bit more, you saw her side. Mess does not almost come close to describing this thing. The books would be piled up on the floor. The bed wouldn't be made. There would be clothes from days, whatever, past, food. And every now and then, Arnie and I would go in and go, Peaches, how is the mess coming? I mean, literally, it was awful. I don't know if she didn't see it. I don't know if she didn't care if she didn't have the capacity the conviction or courage to deal with it to address her mess but you know how it is your mess will mess you up so her mess spilled over and out of her it affected her relationships and it eventually cost her her space in the dorm because they did room inspections Many of us struggle with inner difficulties, unresolved issues from our past, hurts that just won't heal, habits that hang on, mixed up and messed up emotions and hardships, often of our own making, that hinder us and contribute to the mess in our lives. And our mess is going to mess up somebody else. Our messes can be individual. They can be familiar. They can be collective. They can even be congregational. And we fool ourselves into thinking that we are doing a good job of managing the mess. Because that's what we try to do, right? We try to manage the mess. Or we even think we're hiding the mess that no one sees. When what we should really be doing is seeking redemption from our mess. Rather than seeking in redemption, we convince ourselves into believing that we can clean up our own messes, the messes that we make and the mess that we are. We think that we are, that we can, and that we can even try to be all that God has created us and calls us to be. But no matter how we try, how many self-help books we buy, how many conferences go we go to, the truth of the matter is we're not and we just can't be what we were created to be. Not on our own, not in our own power. You see, we were created for more. More than the mess that we are, more than the mess that we make, more than messing up others. We were created in the image of God and and the goodness of the creator is stamped deep down inside of us. But we often don't see that goodness in ourselves or in others because of sin. I graduated from seminary in 2008, right? And my first appointment was at Francis Burns and it was July and they did um, a summer enrichment program, right? And they had kids, some of the kids from the community and the kids from the church. And I was sitting at my desk doing something on a Tuesday or Wednesday and Sister Betty Augustus comes in. and She goes, you got to, he's in the bathroom crying and she had to go downstairs to the class, and so I go into the bathroom of the fellowship hall, and a 10-year-old, one of the boys in the church, a, a good kid, and he is boo he is looking at himself in the mirror, and the tears are coming down his eyes, and, and Miss Betty has told me a little bit of what happened. And he has really good parents, parents who, who, who love God, and who have taught him, and, and he had been going to Sunday school, and he is boo and he has behaved badly, He has spoken to another child who does not have what he has in a way that was not kind and good. And in a way that I know his parents would have been so disappointed in him, and he he would have been in trouble, but he wasn't crying about the trouble in his parents. He is looking in the mirror, and when I open the door to the bathroom, he looks up at me with his tear-stained face. He goes, why? Why did I do it? I know I shouldn't have done that. I know I shouldn't have said it. Why, 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 why did I do it? And I looked down at him and I thought, oh my God, I'm going to have a theological conversation with a 10-year-old. And I was excited. you know why he did it? We know what we should do. We, we know how we should be. We We know how we should behave. We know how we're supposed to live. We know how we're supposed to treat others and ourselves, but we don't. And we don't do it always. We don't do it consistently. We don't do it faithfully, and we don't do it joyfully. We are good until somebody ticks us off. We're You know it. You know what I've told you, the little joke, you get up in the morning, you pray, you go, Lord, thank you so much, this has been a good day, Lord, I haven't cussed anybody out, I haven't been short-tempered, I haven't been angry at anybody, I have been kind and gracious, but God, I'm about to leave the house now, so you got to really go with me. Until somebody does something that we don't like, when we don't get our way, because not so deep down we think it should be our way or the highway. And you know what happens when we don't get our way. We get mad. We take our marbles and go play by ourselves. We refuse to show up. We, you know how we behave. And the Apostle Paul says in, says in Romans this way, he says, the desire to do good is inside of me, but I can't do it. I don't do the good that I want to do. I do the evil that I want. Don't want to do. In other words, why am I such a mess? That's what that little boy was saying. Why am I such a mess? I know better. Who can help me out of this mess? I don't want to stay in this mess, and I don't want to mess with others because he hurt that other child's feelings. Who didn't come back to the program. We are and we make a mess of our lives because of sin. Now, admittedly, some things are beyond our control, but most of the hardships that happen to us and that we happen upon others are of our own making. And yet we don't like to talk about sin, do we? And we certainly don't like to take a hard look at our lives and our stuff and our sin-sick souls. Too many of us believe that we don't need to change. You know how we, use, how we use, how we say it? That's just the way I am. Uh-huh. That's what someone said to me about this person who was really mean. And Ruth had the nerve to call other people demons or demonic. I'm thinking, well, when did God leave his throne and come down here and tell you that you get to label somebody else? Who made you so? And this lady came to my office and she was talking. And she, and she said, well, that's just the way he is. And I looked at it and I said, well, is that the way God wants him to be? And she was taken aback. I said, and God's going to hold all y'all accountable for allowing him to get deeper in the way he wants to be, and he's always been. Some of us think that we're too old to change, or think that we're uh, all right, you know, we're all right, that we're not that bad, at least not as bad as all that, and certainly not as bad as some people, amen? I mean, I'm bad, I got issues, but I ain't got her issues. Have you ever made yourself look better by... Putting down somebody else. We've all done it. In fact, it's easier for us to clearly see the sin, the mess in others than to accept and acknowledge that we have the same problem, that we too are sinners. Just because your sin don't look like somebody else's sin don't mean that you ain't a sinner. Picture this. You're driving down, okay, let's make it well you we can't drive fast down eighty-five, so let's go to twenty-six. Right? You know how we go. You might get behind one of those trucks and you're speeding. And I say this cause I speed. I'm gonna tell you right now I speed. The man pulled me over, I'm just gonna ask, how fast was I going? Okay, but you're driving on the road, and you and this other car, y'all both are this truck, and y'all are both speeding. You're going beyond that five miles that we think that the people say is not speeding, but that's technically speeding, okay? And you're driving, you're driving, you're driving, and the highway, and just as you and this car, and that car's ahead of you, you whisk past this highway patrolman that you didn't see, and you get them blue lights, bleep, bleep, right? And they pull you over, the first thing out of our mouths. But, but the other car and the officer going to say, but you were speeding. We want to point to the other. And as an old lady told me, she said, but you got three more fingers pointing back at you. This is some of what Jesus points out in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Two people go to the temple to pray. One, a member of the Pharisees, a a group who pursued righteousness by adhering to to strict rules. There's nothing wrong with pursuing righteousness, but they were so focused on the rules that they could be condemning and self-righteousness. Unable to see their own sin because they were focused on the rules. And thus the Pharisee's prayer reflects his self-righteousness but he, because he prays about himself to God. He prays about how good he is, how righteous he is, how he does everything right. That he is not like others and he particularly isn't like that tax collector, that sinner. Can you imagine that that was the focus of his prayer? It's as if he's reminding God how good he is. He is celebrating his goodness rather than glorifying God's goodness. The Pharisee seems to have no need of God. Since he has made himself right, since he's done everything right, he has no need of God. The only thing he has to do is to parade his goodness before God and thereby implying that God should in turn honor and bless his goodness. To say, see, God, I am worthy. But the tax collector, who knows who and what he is. The tax collector, who obviously has some regrets. The tax collector, who must be in the middle of some mess, some messy situation. Who knows he is a mess. Who knows that he is far from God that he is out of alignment with God and God's will for his life. He knows it so much so that he can't even look up to heaven and he just looks down at the ground and he beats his breast. He is so humbled by and he seems to be in mourning of his sin. He, he knows that he is indeed a sinner and all he has is the goodness of God that he is desperate and dependent on God's grace and mercy like, the, like David in the psalm before you and you only have thy sin creating me, God do something with me because I can't do anything with me friends what prayers have you been praying Do you think that you're all that? That you have it all together, that in this phase of your life that you have no need of God's grace and mercy? That you have rooted out all the sin within? This Lenten season, let's take a closer look at ourselves and our souls. Let's not be satisfied with being all right. Because we're, and, and, and we need to think that we're not, just because we're not that bad, doesn't mean that we're that good. Let's not be content with just being okay, and let's not fool ourselves into believing that there isn't any soul work that still needs to be done in us. We have not arrived at perfection. We must still be on the way, on the journey, We need to have the courage and the conviction to look deep within and see the mess that is still in us. The mess that we still are and the mess that we continue to make. We need to see how disobedient we still are. How the image of God is still marred and disfigured in us. How far we still are from God and who God is calling us and desiring for us to be. You see, the problem with the Pharisee is that he was unaware of the sickness in his own soul. He was in denial about the mess. (laughs) And you can be in denial about the mess when you refuse to look deep within. Too many church folk are spiritually apathetic. We have arrived at a place of comfort. We have our routines down. And therefore, we have become complacent, convinced that we think we're all right. But we are missing out on the more of God. This year, this Lent, let's all get real about our condition the condition that we all suffer from, all of us, every single one of us, and how we struggle with sin. Let's confess and address the mess so that we might live more fully and more faithfully before God and in the world, so that we can live without anxiety and fear, worry and doubt, so that we can experience God's peace and God's purpose in our lives and in the life of this church, so that we can truly witness to the world and to others that there is hope, that there is redemption from the mess. Maybe, y'all, maybe we cannot make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world unless and until. Until we address the mess, till we look deep down and check out and allow God's spirit to root out more and more. John Wesley would say that if we're on the journey to sanctification our whole life long, may we be willing to journey. Amen, amen, and amen.